Good morning, my name is Jesse. I'm a pastor here at IDC. If you're new here, we're so glad you're here. I'd love to meet you after the service. We're going through Proverbs. Now, I went through my 20s under a fundamental deception that I was not really an angry person. I had the typical teenage outbursts that you have, you know, some knockdown, drag out fights with my parents in teenage years. But after I moved out, I, re- I never really got angry. And so I lured myself into this thinking like, oh, I'm just not an angry person. Like, it just doesn't really impact me. When I got married, I'd heard that marriage brought out your worst. But it really didn't for me. I don't think it did. Jessica and I had conflicts, but I never really got that angry. And it certainly didn't stay angry. But then, Jessica and I had our first child. And then the grand truth was revealed. I'm embarrassed to say how early in my child's life that I found anger just simmering in my heart, ready to come out and boil over in my tone, in my volume, in my eyes. I really wish that anger was an effective parenting strategy, but it's not. It almost always makes things worse. And it's compounded by the frustration that I don't know what I'm doing. Like, how do you do this? How do I parent another tantrum? Another lie? A, a room that is never clean. Like, my kids' room is never, ever clean. I, that's all I want in life. It's just a clean room from them. We've read the books and listened to the blogs and the podcasts, and still we feel our lack of wisdom. Parents, can I, can I get an amen? Thank God that, that God knows that we need wisdom. Proverbs, the book of wisdom in the Bible, has a lot to say about parenting. It is framed as a teaching from a father to a son. Proverbs seeks to parent us, the reader. And so we're going to look at the wisdom of Proverbs for raising children. But before we jump in here, I have a string of qualifications. First of all, I have young kids, which means that I've not delivered a final product into the world. Which means that I have a credibility issue, which I totally recognize. Me preaching a sermon on parenting is like a first-year teaching major lecturing on teaching. Or a first-year business school um, undergrad lecturing on the stock market. Like, I feel that. Um, And I felt that this week as a parent. I was sharing in the new members class that every time I'm preaching on a topic... Like, God chooses that week to, like, really test me. So I get really nervous, and I'm going to, you know, whatever I'm preaching on. But be comforted that this is always the case with me and Wade. We're not experts. My credibility in preaching is not my experience or my righteousness. Praise the Lord. But it is rooted in the authority of the Word of God. So this is God's Word, okay? Now, I also know that a lot of us are not parents, Maybe you really want to be a mom or dad, but it hasn't happened. Maybe you've experienced miscarriage or infertility, and a, a sermon on parenting parenting might feel painful, or for some of us, just irrelevant. 
but I want you to be comforted by this, that all God's word is written in love for all his people. Scripture speaks of God as the ultimate father. And we, the church, are his family. And so a sermon on parenting is going to be about us, because we are his children. And if you're in the church, the church is called God's family, which means we're all accountable and responsible to raise each other's kids. In fact, whenever we baptize an infant, we take vows as a congregation to undertake, quote, undertake the responsibility of assisting the parents in the Christian nurture of this child. That's a big vow. Assistance, meaning parents, we need your, parents need your help. My hope for IGC is that we would be a true family to each other and that our kids would know the joy of having many aunties and uncles nurture them towards Jesus. All right, so let's look at God's Word. We have a survey from Proverbs from all over the book. You can look on or you can look on the screen. No, you can't. You can't look on the screen. Uh, let's look on, while, while my technical assistance here, if you can look on with me. Proverbs 1, verses 8 and 9. Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and pendants for your neck. Proverbs 3:11. I said, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof, for the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father of the son in whom he delights. Proverbs 10:1. The Proverbs of Solomon, a wise son makes a glad father, but a foolish son a sorrow to his mother. Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares a rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Proverbs 15, 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouths of fools pour out folly. Proverbs 14, sorry, 16, 32. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Discipline your son, for there is hope. Proverbs 19, 18. Proverbs 20, 11. Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and upright. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with the rod, he will not die. If you strike him with the rod, he will save his soul from shale. My son, if your heart is wise, my heart too will be glad. My inmost being will exult when your lips speak what is right. The rod and reproof give wisdom. But a child left to himself brings shame to his mother. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give delight to your heart. Let's pray as we enter into God's word. Father in heaven, we do pray that you would give us wisdom. Father, we need you. Lord, we feel our weakness. Would you please bless your children as they're learning you, learning your word. Would you bless them and encourage them. Father, would you grow us all in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning, God's word 
calls us to love our children enough to dis- to discipline them, to direct and correct towards wisdom, and so project the grace and love of a better father. I'm going to say it again. It was a lot. This morning, God's word calls us to love our children enough to discipline them, to direct and correct them towards wisdom, and so project the grace and love of a better father. Let's look first at the ground of discipline. The ground of discipline. That's our first. So what is discipline? If you look on your sheet here, Proverbs 1.8, turn back around. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching. Note that both parents are involved in this discipline. There's... There's a, Proverbs assumes an authority to both the father and the mother. And the words it uses are instruction, teaching. Children don't know about the world or how to do anything in the world, and so they need to know this, you need to know how to do things. You need to teach them, instruct them. But discipline is more than transference of knowledge. If you look at 20, Proverbs 22.6, parents train. Think about coaches, training athletes. There's strength training and strategy sessions and lifestyle corrections. Hey, another friend. Oh, I didn't push play. That's funny. There we go. Thank you. Um, we need to come up with some sign language here. So training, right? Train, coaches train. And that's part of parenting. You're training them. They also reprove and rebuke, which are correcting terms. Don't do that. So discipline. I think discipline is the best word for it because it explains this broad range of activities. Training, teaching, instructing, rebuking. Here's my definition of discipline. Discipline is the intentional direction and correction of children to live wisely in accord with God's word and world. It's the intentional direction and correction of children to live wisely in accord with God's word and world. But why discipline? Like, why do we have to do it? And to answer that question, you have to ask deeper foundational questions about the nature of children and even life. Like, what is the problem that discipline is seeking to solve? Or is there even a problem? Every parenting strategy has a foundation or a ground if you uh, if you're at all in the mo- in the mommy blogs, um, I feel sorry for you. Um, I'm just joking. <laughs> There's some good stuff there, but you know about the trend of gentle parenting. It's kind of the new the new fad. Uh, according to the New York New Yorker, gentle parenting acknowledges a child's feelings and motivations behind challenging behavior, as opposed to correcting the behavior itself. So it's a focus on the motivation, not the behavior. And it rejects rewards, punishments, or threats. And the reason why it does that is lies in its understanding of human nature. According to gentle parenting, children don't defy for the sake of defiance. Their defiance is really a physiological response to stress. So misbehavior is maladaptive, not malicious. You wouldn't punish a physically disabled child for not walking, right? They need help. They need adaptation. It's the same with gentle parenting with behavior. 
So you see how the fruits of the parenting strategy are tied to philosophical roots. Gentle parenting presumes a baked-in moral neutrality to humans and an evolutionary framework. The parent's primary duty is to gently correct their children to adapt, help them adapt. Now, you might posit, and critics do, that gentle parenting, its reliance on intense empathy does not really prepare them for adaptation to a world that does not have the time or care to emotionally attune to them. But still, you see the connection. Now, there's some really good stuff that gentle parenting gives. Um, I really like the word gentle. That's a good word. Right? We should be gentle in our parenting. Um, and I like the word gentle attached to, to discipline. Every time the New Testament talks about church discipline, you know, it, it talks about gentleness. It's to be done in gentleness, right? Gentleness and discipline, as those, those should go together. And it, it emphasizes a concern for motivation that's paralleled in Scripture. God cares about our motivation. But Proverbs actually has a more expansive view of the problem that discipline is trying to solve. Look at Proverbs 22.15. It's on the back here. Order. It says, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. Folly. Now, what is folly? Folly is a mixture of ignorance and incompetence. Here's here's an example of folly. Around fourth grade, I decided that I was going to blacksmith a cross necklace for myself by heating a nail on the gas stove in my kitchen and then hammering it on the living room carpet. I thought I'd been doing this in TV, you know, like, I can do this. So I, now when I think about, when I think back about that, it was really stupid and ignorant, right? And it left a permanent nail-shaped burn in my living room carpet. Was that sinful? I certainly was not thinking about honoring my parents or consulting them as I turned on a burner and held a nail over it. Right? Foolishness also has this immoral, this immorality, this, this ignorance. It's actually idolatrous. Folly in Proverbs is immoral and rebellious. The fool is not submitted to the law and the authority of God. Now, contrary to gentle parenting, I think our experience, my experience at least, shows that children sometimes do defy for the sake of defiance. Sometimes they defy for all sorts of reasons. And the, the problem then is that folly is actually has this moral capacity, this rebellion. And we call this in Christianity original sin. The great English journalist G.K. Chesterton once quipped, quote, original sin is the only doctrine that's been empirically validated by 2,000 years of human history. Original sin, empirically validated. And so the ground of Christian discipline is rooted in this fact of sin. We believe that children need direction and correction. And actually, we believe that everyone needs direction and correction, right? That we need this from God. That's the ground of Christian discipline. Let's look now at the goal of discipline. If foolishness and disobedience are the problem, then wisdom and obedience are part of the solution. And we see the father in Proverbs instructing his son to chase wisdom. He speaks in Proverbs 4, 4 verse 6, 
The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. And whatever you get, get insight. The Father knows that wisdom is the surest way to goodness and life and joy. He says, do not forsake her. That is wisdom. And she will keep you. Love wisdom. And she will guard you. But as we studied two weeks ago in Proverbs, it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. It's knowing God's word and how God's world works that is wisdom. So if the goal of discipline is wisdom, then you must discipline, teach, and instruct your children in the word and the fear of God. It's training your children in the fear of the Lord. Which, here's the related goal of discipline. You are seeking to cultivate a reverence and respect for authority. The fear of the Lord is rightfully recognizing his authority over you. And you're training your child to live under authority. Because that's how God designed the world. Proverbs 24, 21 says, My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. Your authority prepares your child for a world in which authority is inevitable. And there's obviously a pragmatic socializing force behind this. right? No adult likes a child who is disrespectful. If you do not instill a respect for authority, your child is going to be at a disadvantage with teachers, in-laws, and bosses. But you see the chain of logic here. If the goal of discipline is wisdom, which requires the fear of the Lord, which requires reverence for authority. Now, that authority, you are that authority. You are God's authority in this child's life. And you are called to be his faithful representative to your child. And like God, you dictate boundaries and limitations. In uh, our first house, we had a, a, a townhome, and it was an open open layout, and there was a kitchen, and we um, we put a blue, lo- blue tape right there for Amos when he was uh, beginning to crawl. And he was not supposed to go over the blue tape. Right? And so he would a couple times. It only took about two days. And just a light pat. And he realized, oh, this is boundaries. And that makes sense, right? A kitchen is full of things that are dangerous to children. Right? And it's good for our children to learn boundaries. That there is danger. That's part of listening to authority is trusting authority. That they know what is good. Now, I think, I think actually parenting does require some fear. Just like the fear of the Lord is a reverence of his authority, it's a respect that he's not to be trifled with. And I think that principle is the same with parenting. Children internally desire order, to know that you are going to give boundaries, that you are consistent. Healthy fear and reverence go hand in hand with love. They and you need to know that they are not the king or queen of your household. The world does not revolve around them. That's one of the first gifts you can give them as a parent. Submission is the path to life. I think, I think this, this goal, this goal of authority, this goal of, of representing God to your children, I think there's two cultural idols. White Western culture really prizes individualism and self-realization. Right? Sometimes Jessica and I laugh, um, because when I went out way to college, my parents said, we want you to major in whatever you want. Like, can you just, whatever, you can be whoever you want. 
She was like, that's not at all what my Asian culture, like, we'd never do that as parents, right? And the reason why is because there's this deeper romantic vision that white American culture has of like, hey, be yourself. The fullest living is you choosing your own life for you. Be an individual. Which is kind of like saying the individual becomes God. Like you become God. You choose your life. On the other hand, there's the more traditional Asian culture, right? In which the parent or the family is God. We tell you what to do. We tell you what to, what, what to pursue, who to marry. And, and, and neither are really the biblical picture. And there's truth to both of them, right? There's truth to both of them. Uh, Proverbs 22.6 says, Train up a child in the way he should go. Now you could read that and say, yes, train up a child. Yes, that's good. Training. We need to squash that individualism, right? And it also says in the way he should go, right? Your child is an individual. And there are some career paths that don't make sense. And so there's this, this dance, right, of respecting this person as an individual and yet also giving them the, the social and cultural, the communal orientation. And, and really I think both of these fail, the, the, both of these fail in the fact that it's actually, you want them, you want neither the family to be God nor the individual to be God, you want God to be God. You want God to be God. You want your child to walk away knowing that God is with him, submitted to him. Not living in the shame of failing some family expectations or or just uh, heedlessly going off and seeking whatever they want. You want them to know God. Now, let's look at the uh, heart of discipline. The heart of discipline. So how do we get our children, like, there? Like, what method will get us there to wisdom? Well, parenting advice is invariably faddish. Um, Gentle parenting puts all its eggs in empathetic parental engagement. And whatever the psychology of the day is, parenting manuals ape it. The most, one of the most, uh, the most popular uh, published child manual was a the Common Sense Book of Baby and Child Care by pediatrician Benjamin Spock of all time. It was first published in 1946. And when it first came out, Spock condemned the parent who would spank or punish because that was not good. He had this kind of Freudian view. And then 10 years later, though, he came out with another revision because publishers got to make their money. And he Changed it to say, oh, you know what? We used to, we used to, uh, struggle with strictness. Now we're struggling with permissiveness. So I guess it's okay to spank. Right? Change within 10 years. You could look at James Dobson's Dare to Discipline back in the 1970s, which attributed nearly salvific power. All you had to do was just spank. America would just spank and be saved. Right? And then you got Paul David Tripp in like the last 20 years, right? It's all about your child's heart. I just want you to see, like, there's a faddishness to it. There's a faddishness. Modern methods of parenting actually give you one tool. One tool. It's a nice, really well-formed hammer. But then they say, hey, take this hammer and go build a house. Right? Oh, that screw. 
take that hammer to that screw. No, you need a screwdriver. You need more than just one tool. And I actually think that the Bible has a more diverse toolkit for discipline. Proverbs has many methods of parenting. There's verbal instruction, teaching, reproof, persuasion, pleading, and warning. And yes, there is also physical discipline. You know, when we look at the Bible, it's still this diversity. The exile of Israel is a divinely sanctioned timeout. Israel, timeout, 70 years Babylon. Lamentation speaks of the destruction of Jerusalem as God's massive spanking on his people. Deuteronomy lays out the consequences of rebellion. God says, if you keep doing this, this is what is going to happen. Sometimes God lingers at the, at the level of motivation. Why are you doing this? And other times God says, just no, stop it. God doesn't give us a foolproof parenting method. Parents also have to become wise, just as they train their children in wisdom. And what, is this, what does this child need? All children are different. One responds to a glare. They're very obedient. The other, they could care less if you give them a bad look. Methods of discipline are important. But what matters more is your heart. Proverbs warns of two dangers of heart in parenting. The first is disengagement, indifference, carelessness. Proverbs 23.13 says, Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. There is a sense of like, you need to do this, or else you're going to put your child in jeopardy. To love is actually to discipline. And we can become disengaged as parents for all sorts of reasons. right? We disengage when we despair. Sometimes we don't have time. When we say we don't have time, what that really means is that we don't prioritize them. Our culture, sometimes it's fear. Our culture has put tremendous, tremendous pressure on parents not to screw it up. We are going to traumatize our kids if we discipline them. But Proverbs calls us to engagement. And it calls us to hope. Proverbs 19.18 says, Discipline your son, for there is hope. Don't give up. Showing up, like most things, is 70% of parenting. But on the other end is anger. Proverbs sees anger as extremely dangerous. To act in anger is the epitome of foolishness. Anger is destructive. And so wisdom diffuses anger in yourself and in your child. Proverbs 15.1 says a soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word stirs up anger. Have you ever done that? Ever angered your child? You yelling in anger is probably not going to make the situation better. Have you ever, have you ever been in the uh, moment where you're, you're yelling, we don't yell in this house? You ever experienced that as a parent? The most explicit New Testament passage on parenting, likewise, warns of angering your child. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul contrasts the discipline of the Lord with provocation to anger. Now, this does not mean that you should emotionally bow to the whims of your child, never daring to anger them. Good discipline will anger your child, but that's not your goal. 
Your goal is not to punish them, to make them feel as bad as you do. It's not a tit for tat. Rather, the heart of discipline is for their good. Here's what matters most in parenting. Integrity. It says in Proverbs 27, The righteous who walks in his integrity, blessed are his children after him. Your particular method of parenting matters far less than your integrity as a parent. Right? Again, when you're yelling at your child, we don't yell in this house. What kind of message is that sending them? When you respond to a tantrum of your child with your own tantrum, you're actually undermining your very parenting, your very authority. Or if they're lying, do you lie? Do you tell the truth? You might say that God and church are important, but do your kids see the importance of God and church in your life? Your kids have the best window into your heart, and they have fantastic intuition. Your heart is teaching them what truly you care about. We we so often make our children the problem of parenting when it is ourselves that is the primary problem. You are your worst enemy in parenting, not your child. And the heart of discipline is not to control your child, but to control yourself. And the Lord promises to bless that integrity. And that leads us to the grace of discipline. I hope right now you feel like a tremendous failure. (laughs) Because I feel like a tremendous failure. And misery loves company. But there is grace, friends. There is grace. So let's talk about the grace of discipline. Now, grace first means a gift. It means a gift in the Greek. And discipline is the gift that parents bestow to their children. It's more valuable than any inheritance you could possibly leave to them, or genetic disposition. And we see this gift in Proverbs 1, verse 8 and 9. Look on your sheet again. It says, Hear, my son, your father's instruction, and forsake not your mother's teaching, for they are a graceful garland for your head and a pendant for your neck. In the ancient Near East, the garland was a, was a signal of victory over your enemies. Heroes wore garlands. What Solomon is saying is that you actually give your child victory, beauty, heroic victory, when you parent and discipline them well. In Egyptian wisdom literature, a pendant around the neck symbolized guidance and protection, meaning parental direction guides and protects your child. And notice that these items are decorative and conspicuous. Like you can see them. They wear them on themselves in view. Have you ever met a child whose behavior is so admirable, admirable that you can tell they've been parented well? It's beautiful and obvious. So it's a parent's gift of discipline that is their primary gift to their child. And it has the potential to grant your child victory, protection, and guidance. And it is fundamentally a gift of love. It's love. That's the grace of discipline. Proverbs 13, 24 says, Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Love disciplines. And there are times when love even requires the infliction of pain. When you take all the Proverbs into consideration, there are a couple that commend physical discipline. It's like spanking. 
which implies that physical discipline should be done sparingly and carefully. And yet the Proverbs also seem to assume that, that the body, the physical body, is a way to the heart. The association of love with physical discipline is mirrored in other cultural contexts. Some of you who um, grew up in Korean culture, there's a the tradition of the rod of love. That sounds like a great thing, the rod of love. Or the, There's an old Chinese proverb, beating and scolding is the emblem of love. I love that. Beating and scolding is the emblem of love. That really helps me interpret my interactions with my in-laws. I didn't, I didn't know how much they loved me. Um, the default in Proverbs is, is the spoken word. But there are times when we must inflict some sort of pain. Because discipline is costly and sacrificial. Discipline always requires parental sacrifice. It's a sacrifice of time and energy and well-being. And do your children deserve it? No. No, it is by grace that you give them that. Why? Why? Why do you do that? Because they're your kids and you love them. You have this unmerited favor. Your kids did nothing. Did nothing to earn that. And your discipline becomes an indelible mark of your discipline on them. Right? I have Clay and Sherilyn Robinson's discipline marked in my mind and heart because I am their son. And what we see is that's actually true of God. That's true of God. In Hebrews 12, he, he actually cites Proverbs 3, verse 11 and 12. He says, And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. Do you hear that? God is saying, I love you. And because I love you, I discipline you. I don't leave you to yourself. The writer of Hebrews goes on to say, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we've had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he, that is God, disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by this. What he's saying is that it's actually a mark of God's love for us that he disciplines us. I don't know what you're going through right now. Maybe it is parenting. Maybe it's a job change. Maybe it's a hard marriage. But everything that God puts in your life is actually meant for your discipline. And the hard things, the hard things are actually evidence of his love. If God didn't love you, he would give you everything you wanted. But he he does love you. And so he disciplines us. He disciplines us. And unlike our earthly fathers, some of our earthly fathers and mothers abused discipline. They abused us. They didn't discipline us for, their, for our good. But what he said, what Hebrews says is that God, we can be sure that God does discipline us for our good. He knows what's best. 
And this, this, this fruit, this discipline that he gives us, we do not deserve it. The whole reason that God, that we become his sons is because he's given his son for us. That Jesus Christ came, the son of God, to suffer for us. That Jesus Christ himself, Hebrews says, learned obedience by what he suffered. He learned the discipline of God. And yet that, that, that penalty of paying for our sins on the cross is actually what gives us the right to become children of God. And so discipline is a part of God's grace for us. It's a part of God's grace for us that He loves us enough to not leave us to ourselves. It's, Proverbs says, don't, don't get too tired. Don't get weary when God disciplines you. Don't get discouraged, but know that God loves you. God loves you. And He's doing something in the discipline. He's doing something with this one. He's actually making you beautiful. Making you beautiful. So that when he sees you fully grown, he will rejoice. C.S. Lewis in The Problem of Pain, he has a, he talks about an artist. He says, over a sketch made idly to amuse a child, an artist may not much t- take much trouble. He may be content to let it go, even though it is not exactly as he meant it to be. But over the great picture of his life, the work which he loves, though in a different fashion, as intensely as a man loves a woman or a mother or a child, he will take endless trouble and would doubtless thereby give endless trouble to the picture if it were sentient. One can imagine a sentient picture after being rubbed and scraped and recommenced for the tenth time, wishing that it were only a thumbnail sketch whose making was over in a minute. But in the same way, it is natural for us to wish that God had designed for us a less glorious and less arduous destiny. But then we are wishing not for more love, but for less. In other words, what God is doing in us. There are times when we say, God, I'm, please stop the discipline. I don't want it anymore. It's actually, you're asking for less love. It is because God loves you that he is disciplining us. And that's what he calls us to do with our children. He calls us to give them to him. It is ironic that our discipline of our children is actually God's way of disciplining us. It's ironic. But friends, he is making us into such a beautiful picture and is nothing less than the beauty of Jesus Christ. That is what he is making you into. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I do pray for those in this room that might be weary of your reproof that might think of you as a who's, I think of that you're, that you're hating them by disciplining them thank you that you do reprove us who you love that this is actually a mark of our true sonship and daughtership in you Father we pray that we would grow in parenting ourselves, our children our church we ask this In Christ's holy name, amen.